Wow. Well, this past Friday, I got to do something exciting. I got to go and visit the Hawkins Unit Prison um, down just south of Little Rock. Um, well, I guess it's 30 minutes from Little Rock, where it, I, don't, I don't remember the direction because I rode with James. Where is that, James? What? Which? South? Okay. All right. South. About 30 minutes. And so we walked in the prison, you know, and you come, you come behind the gate and we walk in and and uh, uh, James is a part of a ministry called Pathway to Freedom, which is a two-year program for parolees, people, guys that are coming up for parole, you know, they can choose to be a part and participate in the Pathway to Freedom. And so they have their own building. They have 200 beds in here. And I walk in, and I'm, I, at first when I walk in, I meet a guy named Glenn. He's their guitar player. They have their worship team out there. In the, in the hall where we're going to do worship and have some meetings. And Glenn says to me, he says, hey, you look familiar. Have you been here before? I said, no, this is actually my first time. And, uh, you know, I don't like going to prison and people recognizing me. But, <laughs> but I thought, okay, you know. And then I thought, well, that's no big deal. I mean, you know, I may have that face to him. And then I met another guy and he said, hey, you look familiar. Have you been here before? I said, no, that's the second guy. And then the third guy, same, same thing. Third guy says, you look familiar. Have you ever, is this your first time here? I said, yeah, it's my first time here. And I'm going, okay, now you're starting to concern me a little bit. And so we leave that room and they take us back to one of the big area rooms, which is where all the bunks are. So they, they're divided into three rooms. So you take what, 200 divided by three. Those of you that are quick at math. Yeah. So about where I'm at. So, but there's this big open space and there's all these bunk beds and there's, you know, uh, open shower, toilets. I mean, they share, everything's all out there. And then they had this space where, you know, they had tables and stuff. So we just come in and all these guys are lined up to shake our hands. So we're shaking our hands, their hands, you know, and just greeting the guys. And I get to this one guy and he's just got... I mean, his tattoos are like artwork. Have you ever just looked at a person's tattoos and just gone, man, that is just, wow, so cool. And I said, how long did that take? He goes, man, it took 80 hours. I went, oh, dear Jesus. I was like, oh, my word. He said, yeah, my neck just took, just the neck was seven hours. I just went, wow. And then, anyway, so I meet, I go past him, and the next guy grabs my hand, and he embraces me. And he starts crying. And I'm like, okay. I don't know what's happening. But he's obviously being touched. And he starts crying. And then he says, he, says, he backs up. He, he holds me back. And we're like almost nose to nose. And he says, I know you. I said, what do I mean? What do you mean I know you? He said, when COVID was happening, you sent, your church sent your services on video into the Hawkins unit, which we did. I totally forgot about it. And he said, and you preached a message on forgiveness that changed my life. And I just went, wow. And I get to the next guy and he says, yeah, I saw it too. He said, thank you. And then the next guy, same, and it was like, anyway, it was like once he said that, 
suddenly all these guys are coming out and they're saying, hey, yeah, I watched that video. We watched it together. And then, and then I got out into, um, got out back into the, the hall and all the guys are coming in and, and you sit with the guys, you know, during the message. And as I'm walking down the little aisleway to, to get to my seat, I mean, it's just all guys sitting down in white and they're all saying, man, I saw your videos. Awesome. Thank you so much. And then they started coming to me and saying, when, when are you going to come out here and actually preach for us? And I just went, and it, you know, it would be one thing if one guy asked me that. It'd be another thing if maybe two. But when nine guys wait in a line to shake your hand and ask, invite you to come, I just looked at James. We were driving back, and I said, man, would that be possible? Could we come and share the, share the gospel with him and just love on him? And James said, absolutely. So anyway, we're going to set up a Friday, and we're going to drive Friday night, go down to the Hawkins unit there south of Little Rock, and so if you're a male in here, I want to invite you to come. But you need to let us know, okay? So out in the lobby, there's a little table. It's called the How Can We Help You table. So we're going to get your information because we have to get an application. Do we have those applications today? Okay. All right. Well, we're going to bring, we're going to bring some applications, and we just need to get your name and your email. And we, we need a way to be able to get in touch with you so that we can get that application to you. Because they, they need to do a background check on you. And guys, you need to do it. Because it'll impact you. Because let me tell you, these guys are not in general population. This is a specialized program they have, they have to sign up for. They have to apply for to be a part of. And the one thing that you'll notice right away is how hungry they are for God. I mean, they are so hungry for God. And it's amazing. I, I just, I was so touched being there, not just because of what they said, but just the hunger, you know? Man, don't you love telling people something when they're excited to hear what you're saying? Do you call the sourpusses when you have good news, or do you call the people that just love you and they love to hear good news when you call them? No, I'm serious. I mean, this is, you know, anyway, that's these guys. These guys are like sponges. They're like, man, speak the word to us, and we got to spend the whole day with them, got to pray with them, and uh, got to do that, what do you call it, little foxhole meeting, and so that we had like 25 guys in our foxhole meeting, and I wasn't facilitating, it was another guy that, that goes on a regular basis that was facilitating, and he said, he goes, we're going to do it different, we're going to pray for these guys today, and so he just put a chair out here, I'm, I'm tempted to do this this morning, he just put a chair out here, and he said, if you need prayer, just come and sit in the chair. And man, these guys came, I mean, they were not shy. You know, they were just boom, 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 boom. And I noticed the prayer requests were pretty much the same. It was either for forgiveness or restoration, reconciliation of relationships. And we spent the day praying for these guys, loving on these guys. And uh, it, was, it was so good. All right. So, how many of you brought your Bible this morning? All right, because we use them here at Vision. I don't know what they do at other places, but we're going we're gonna to look at some scripture. If you could turn over to Numbers 23. Numbers 23. A few weeks ago, God had put it on my heart that we were supposed to begin to start talking about faith. 
And as soon as he said, talk about faith, I was like, wow, my mind went straight to all the teachers that I've heard talking about faith growing up. You know, I mean, guys like Kenneth Hagin, Smith Wigglesworth, Catherine Kuhlman, um, Charles Capps. I don't know if some of you might be going, who are all those people? But these are, these are men and women of faith. And, I, you know, I think about Kenneth Hagin, and I think about how God used him to bring such revelation from Mark 11, 22 through 24. If you read that for those scriptures and, and you ever heard him preach it, Believe me, he'll stick out in your mind because God just brought so much revelation through that. But, what, but what's been interesting has been, as I've been trying to walk toward talking about faith, God has, and, I, and I've gone to God every week and said, hey, what do you want brought out this week? He brought out the first week, he, uh, two weeks ago, he brought out what it means to know God. Last week, he brought out the cross. And the finished work of the cross, which was so interesting to me because everything that he's been bringing out is relationship focused. So listen to what he said to me this last week in prayer. And you judge for yourself on it. Because I asked him, I said, Lord, I, I thought we were going to talk about faith. And it just feels like we're just talking about relationship. And he said this to me. He said, Phil... When people draw close to me, when they begin to know me, they begin to know my character. When they know my character, that becomes the foundation for their faith. When they have that kind of foundation for their faith, when they hear anything contrary to, the, to my word, they understand, they, they reject it and they don't believe it because they know it's not my character. Good night, drive safely. I mean, we could... We could just about end right there. I mean, it's been a pretty exciting morning already, you know. I'm glad I'm not R.W. Shambach because there was a dude that, that died in his service. It was a, I, I forget, I, don't, I, I just remember the story. I remember they went down, they prayed for him. They took him around because R.W. Shambach did the tent revivals. You know, he traveled and he had the big tent. And so they took him and they took him behind the tent and they laid him down. And they said, he's still dead. He didn't have a pulse. He said, we prayed. Halfway through the service, the guy came stumbling in. <laughs> and he went back and sat down in his seat. Yeah. So, I mean, anyway, so glory to God. That's not how it's been this morning. But I do want to say this again. I want to say this one more time. That, <laughs> thank you, Lord. <clears throat> that when we draw close to God, and we begin to know him. We begin to know his character. When you know his character, then that becomes the foundation for your faith. And when you have that kind of foundation for your faith, anything that's contrary to his word or what he says, you won't believe because you know his character. How many of you have ever said something you've been misinterpreted, misunderstood? Okay, yeah. I figured that'd be pretty unanimous, you know. And then how many of you have had someone come to your defense? They've come to your defense in that, you know, what you said, maybe somebody misunderstood and that person elbows another person that knows you and says, hey, uh, what did they mean by that? Because that sounded like this. And they said, no, that's not what they meant. They meant this. And then they asked them, well, how do you know that? Because I know them. I know their character.
What does it mean when you say you know somebody's heart? It means you know their character. And so we have defended, you know, my family has defended me because I've, I've said some things that have been misinterpreted. Well, okay, you know, it's happened. <laughs> and I remember my family defending me or my family coming to my rescue and saying, no, that's not what my dad meant or no, that's not what my husband meant because I know his heart. I know his character. And so, you know, it's so good to have people that will do that, that will come to your defense but what I've seen is that not very many people come to God's defense when he's misquoted, when he's misunderstood, when he's misinterpreted. Yeah, it happens. It happens. Because too much of faith today is based on a doctrine that has been developed from experience instead of what the word says. It's not always what the word says. Many times it's experience. And what's happened is because things haven't worked out according to what people thought, what the word says that it should work out. Instead of believing God to elevate your experience to match what he said, we've created doctrine to, to explain and to justify why it didn't happen for us. Does that make sense? Well, God was willing that time, but, you know, he wasn't willing this time. Or some kind, sometimes God does, sometimes he doesn't. You know, he's too wonderful for us to understand. And we slip into, you know, our Christian lingo to help justify a lack of faith, lack of belief. And, and what it does is it damages his character. And if you have a damaged character, people won't believe you. If I was a known liar and I lied all the time, you wouldn't believe anything I said. You wouldn't know if you could believe it, right? Because I've damaged my character by lying. So I have to earn that trust back. But you're there in Numbers. Numbers 23, 19 is a, is a great scripture because it says, God is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man, that he should change his mind. He's not a, he, he is incapable of lying. Wow. Wow. So I think there's been some things that have been lost in translation when it comes to people's understanding of God's character. And so I, I want us to talk a little bit about that this morning. God's character. That I, I want us to come to a place where we fully understand his character. Amen? So turn over to Exodus 15. I want to read another scripture. <clears throat> because when we believe something that's contrary to his word, that's us questioning his character. And, and that disbelief shows that we don't fully understand his character. And when it shows that we don't understand his character, what that means is I really don't know him all that well. Because when you know someone, you know their character. I know my wife so well. We've been married 30 years, and it's been, it, it's, it's scary now because we're at that age where, you know, she reads your mind. I mean, practically, you know. I mean, where, where different situations go on, and Nicole and I say the exact same thing at the exact same time because 
because we're just, we're so on page with, you, with each other. We've had so much time to get to know one another that I have, I, I don't just believe in Nicole. I know Nicole. I've never caught myself saying, I believe that she would do this. I know she would do that. Wow. Because of the relationship. Exodus 15. Look at verse 11. It says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders? Remember that statement, fearful in praise, because we're going to come back to that. But doing wonders. Man, we have studied God. We know about his wonders. We've read about every miracle, heard every Bible story. And, and it's so great to read his stories, but ha- do, we, do we know more about him instead of knowing him? Do we believe in the stories or do we have a relationship with him? This is really important because we study these wonders that he's performed, but do we know him? Because if we don't know him, we don't know his character, but if we know him, we'll understand his character. So turn over to James. Zach gave this verse. James chapter 4, verse 8. You probably have it memorized. But it's always good to put your eyes on it too. James chapter 4, verse 8. This, this is the first step to getting to know God. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Who, do, who drew first? You and I do. So it's something that we do. We pull away and we come unto. This is why it's important to have this quiet time, this, this time where you can pull away. Remember when, remember when Jesus was instructing them how to pray? He said, he said don't, don't pray out in front of everybody where everybody can see you, but go into your closet, close the door, and seek him in secret. Why in secret? Because there's mysteries that God wants to reveal to you that he can't reveal in the open. He wants to have an intimate. Where, where does intimacy happen? Out in the open? <laughs> no. Dear God. It happens. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of stuff happening like that, but it's not intimacy, trust me. You know, but intimacy is behind closed doors. Why? Because it's meant for only that person. And, and we're the bride. He's the bridegroom. And he wants to have an intimate relationship with you and I. I, I know I may sound like a broken record. I know that I, that I talked about this the last two weeks in relationship. But this is so, so critical for us as Christians. This is how we get to know him. Is we take our Bible, we take our journal, and we come into the secret place. We seek him. We learn what his word says so then that we know his character. So then when we go to pray for something and we're believing God for something in faith... We no longer just believe that God will do it. We know God will do it. That's a big difference in believing God will do something and knowing he will. That's what gave David the courage to be able to say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? How in the world is he defying the armies of the living God? Does he not know who God is? Oh, David knew him. David knew him. So this is important. We just read 
Let's read James 4, 8 again. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So we determine the level of relationship that we have with him, not God. Did you hear that? That's worth repeating. (laughs) We determine the level of relationship that we have with him, not God. We can't put that over on God, okay? Because I hear so many Christians say, well, God is always with me. I mean, he knows me. God knows my heart. Yeah. Yeah, he does. But the presence that you're talking about is the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God is that God can be anywhere. He can be all over, all over, all at the same time. Satan, by the way, does not have that ability. Just in case you were wondering. I doubt many of you were, but there might be somebody here that thinks that he's all-powerful like God, and he is not. He's a withering branch coming to nothing. He's a fallen angel. And, oh, my word. Anyway, and so, but people will say this. They'll say, hey, you know, God's with us all the time. That's the omnipresence. So omnipresence is he's everywhere, and his presence exists, and we may not have awareness of it. Because he's there, right? But then there's the manifest presence of God. This is different. Okay, listen to this. Our awareness of him is, the, is awakened unto reality as defined by him. Oh, our awareness of him is awakened unto reality as defined by him. So God is always with us, yes, but what he wants is us to be with him. Wow, so he wants to bring us up on the mountain. Remember the Israelites, he brought them out, and he said, you're going to bring them, Moses, to this mountain, the same mountain where you saw the burning bush, and you're going to worship me on this mountain. And what did God want them to do? He wanted all of them to come up on the mountain. They wouldn't. They were afraid of him. So they missed out on the close relationship they could have had with him. Turn over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I have, a, I have a question for you. Why does the enemy try to get you to question the character of God? Why would he do that? Because he wants to steal something from you. So Genesis chapter 3. You remember God created Adam and Eve. He gave them a beautiful home in the Garden of Eden. They populate this garden. Adam's supposed to be responsible for overseeing the garden, for cultivating it, keeping serpents out. And he doesn't do his job. And this serpent strikes up a conversation with Eve. And listen to what this serpent says, who, by the way, is the devil. (laughs) He says this in verse 1. He says, has God indeed said? Now, notice right away he's questioning what God said. He said, has God indeed said you shall not eat? Of every tree in the garden. Notice he doesn't single out the one tree that he knows they can't. They're not supposed to eat from. And so the woman says to the serpent in verse 2. She says we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the, free, uh, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said you shall not eat of it. Nor shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent says in verse 4 to the woman. You will not surely die. Now, is this a true statement? No, it's not a true statement. Well, Phil, she didn't die. She did later, physically, but she died 
spiritually separated from God as soon as she disobeyed. How do you know that? Because they went and hid. They suddenly realized we're not wearing any clothes. They were clothed in the glory before. When they sinned, the glory departed. And they realized, oh, we got to make clothing, right? And so, so listen to what happens. What was that, verse 2? Or verse 3? <clears throat> Sorry, I lost my place. Oh, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the women, you will surely not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the, so notice that he is calling into question the character of God by what he says. And he's, he's doing it by saying, hey, you're missing out on something. God knows that if you will eat of this fruit, then you'll be like him, knowing the difference between good and evil. So he, he wants her to feel like we're missing something. God is hiding something from me. God's not being upfront with me about it. And then in verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree desirable to make one wise. She took, she ate it, and then she gave it to her husband, who's standing there the whole time not saying a word. So don't know what's going on with Adam, but not doing his job. So the serpent convinced Eve that God was hiding something from her by questioning his character not having an understanding of his character. And that's Satan's plan. His plan is to depreciate, to devalue the things that God says. So then you'll have doubt in your heart. And man, when doubt comes in, you're questioning God's character. So I think this is one of my favorite verses. It's John chapter 10 because it reveals the difference in character between the serpent, the devil, Satan, and God. And it's in John chapter 10. It's verse 10. It says in that verse that, it's, that the thief, which is the same as the serpent, the enemy, Satan, he comes for three reasons, to steal, kill, and to destroy. So he came to Eve to steal from Eve. What did he come to steal from her? He came to steal from her and Adam their dominion so that he would become the God of this world. He came to kill. He was able to bring that death to them spiritually, and then eventually that death physically, which took time to catch up because they were created to be perfect, to live forever. Man, it took a thousand years to kill him physically. And then to destroy. What, what did he want to destroy? He wanted to destroy the kingdom of God on earth. He wanted that out of there so that he could rule. And what did Jesus come? Remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist said the kingdom of God is near. And what did Jesus say when he came? The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. He came to restore the kingdom of God. All right, amen. Okay. So Hebrews 13, verse 8. That was Jesus then. I'm sorry. Let me finish John 10, 10. It goes on to say, Jesus said, I have come, I am come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. Okay, well, in Hebrews 13, verse 8, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he's the same today as he was then, if he had this character then, what kind of character does he have now? Same character. 
did what he said back then only apply to then? Huh? No, he's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. I bring this up because some people question. I, I've, never, I've never had a person question whether or not God could do something. I have seen people question whether or not it was his will, if he was willing to do it for them. And there's a scripture in the New Testament that reveals the character of Jesus, and it's in Matthew chapter 8, and it's in verse 2. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. It says that there was a leper that came to Jesus, and he worshipped him in verse 2. So why does he come to Jesus? He's heard that Jesus heals people. And why does he worship him? Because he knows who he is. He's the son of God. And he worships him and he says, he makes an interesting statement. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is where a lot of people are. They wonder, is God willing? And Jesus reaches out and he touches the leper. Highly contagious. This is why the lepers are kept out in an area away from the city. This is why they have to yell unclean. This is why they don't come around people. Jesus reaches out and touches him, and he says in three important words. He says, I am willing. This is the character of God explained to us, being revealed in three words. I, I personally think if, if you struggle in this area, you should write these three words down and stick them on your mirror, put them in the dash of your car, put them in somewhere where you could see them so that you don't question again whether or not it's God's will to do good in your life, to bring health and wholeness and healing and life. He just said it. He said, I am willing, be cleansed immediately as leprosy was cleansed. And so this, you know, when we come to this knowledge of his character, then it transitions us from believing than to knowing. All right. If I haven't offended you yet, like Bill Johnson says, give me a moment. <laughs> so, to, so this will be another familiar verse to you um, in 2 Timothy. Mm. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking about my dad. My dad went home to be with the Lord in 2013. It was on September 11th was when he passed away, 2013. And just a few months ago, um, I got to go to his lifelong friend. I, he, when did he meet Tommy? It was like a decade before I was born, I think. And um, anyway, and they were friends my entire life. I knew Tommy. I mean, we would vacation together. We would go to the cabin. They had a cabin on Lake Ufalo, and, and, and they loved to ski. And so we would go out on the boat. And I just remember Tommy. Tommy was... Just such a great friend to my dad. Well, my dad went home to be with the Lord. And then six months ago, Tommy went home to be with the Lord. And I just had this thought yesterday. Man, are are you kidding? What that must be like (laughs) for the two of them to come back together again and to see each other. You go, what? What are you doing here? You know what I mean? Just that relationship taken back off. Well, here's my point in bringing this up is why are so many Christians afraid of death? Because for the Christian that has a true identity and who they are in Christ, death, you can't threaten a a true Christian with death. 
All death is for the Christian is a transition. To be absent from the body is to be. Ah. <laughs> you are present with the Lord. Like, boom. Oh, and then you look back and you go, well, that's over. Okay. <laughs> Welcome. I'm glad to be here, you know. This is feeling better already. I, I seriously, I heard about this guy that he's, he was a, uh, uh, he was one of the, I think he was a professor at Oral Roberts University. Don't quote me on that. I, I don't want to mess up the story, but, but he was, uh, he loved playing racquetball. And so he was playing racquetball and he experienced a heart attack and he went, fell over on the court. And he had this massive heart attack happen and they were trying to bring him to. Well, he talked about his out-of-body experience that he had because he loved to run. And in his older age, it got more difficult for him to run. And he hated that because he just loved to run. And so there was this long stretch of road and it wound back and forth and it was this beautiful, it was paved and the grass on the side was just blowing in the wind. There was this nice breeze. He said he looked over at the fence and he saw just all this detail on the wood. And he, so much so that he walked over and he started examining it. And he was like, man, it's beautiful. Who did this? I mean, it took a long time to do this, to, you know, to do this on all this wood. And he noticed that the fence went on forever. And he looked off in the distance and there was a city. And he goes, oh, <laughs> I know where I am. And he took off running toward the city. And he said he could run faster and faster because he's not dealing with hurt, pains, or aches, or, you know, or breathing issues. I mean, and he said he's just running faster and faster. Well, little does he know, his Holy Spirit-filled wife is praying, and they've got the paddles, and they're going clear, boom, and they bring him back. And, and he revives. And he said, suddenly I wasn't running anymore and I opened my eyes and I see my wife leaned over me going, you're, you're back, you're back, you're back. And he got mad at her. He said, don't ever do that again. <laughs> he made her promise, don't ever do that again. Don't bring me back. I think if we could really see it. And I do, I do believe that's true, that some people have gotten a glimpse of what, it is, what it's like on the other side. And that when, the, that when we get the glimpse, we're like, uh, yeah, I'm done here. <laughs> I'm all good. It's amazing. It's amazing. But so many Christians fear death. And, and, and I've heard Christians talk about phobias. Well, you know, I have, a, I have a fear of flying. No, you don't. You have a fear of crashing and dying. You don't have a fear of flying. No, I, well, I have a fear of elevators. No, you don't. You have a fear of the elevator falling. And you dying. I mean, you know, no, I have a fear of snakes. No, you have a fear of being bit by a poisonous snake and swelling up and dying. Because death is the foundation of every fear. But if you take that away, if we come to our true identity and who we are in Christ, and we understand his character, then what is there to fear? In death. You can't threaten a Christian with death. John, I think it was you. We, we were, um, Zach and I got to go to the Power and Love deal that Todd White did in Tulsa a while back. And on our way there, John said, I need to share with you this testimony from Todd White. And he said, and I hope I get it right. Correct me if I don't. 
But, but he talked about how he was driving down the road. He was in a certain city, driving down the road. He saw a guy limping on the side of the road. And he thought, I want to pray for that guy. So he pulled his car over. He jumped out of his car and he went over to him. And he said, man, what's going on with your leg? The guy told him. And he said, he goes, hey, man, I want to pray. For he said, let me pray for you. And he said, the guy lifted his shirt and he had a nine millimeter pistol in his britches. And he said, how about this? How about it doesn't work? I blow you away. And Todd made an interesting statement. He said, really? You're going to threaten a Christian with death? (laughs) That's somebody who has come into a true understanding of who they really are in Christ. I'm not saying that Todd wanted to die. That's not my point. I'm not saying, hey, you know, I'm just ready to throw caution in the wind, jump out of an airplane because I know God will save me. No, that's called testing God. That's not faith. That's why Jesus didn't throw himself off of the cliff when, when, when the tempter tempted him. That's not what I'm talking about, but I am talking about you and I coming into that true identity and really understanding who we are and understanding the character of God so that we have confidence and not and we don't believe we're forgiven. We don't believe we'll go to heaven one day and be with him. We know we're forgiven and we know. Let me tell you, that was the number one thing I saw that those guys at the Hawkins unit deal with is their past the decisions that they made, the things that they did. And I saw it in there. In fact, I was asking James, if I'm divulging too much, you can correct me after this is over, James. But, but when I was talking to James about it, we, we began to talk about that identity is the biggest thing that they deal with because they're trying to forgive themselves. They're, they're wanting other people to forgive them. But if they would come to that true identity, They could live free and be in prison. I'm trying to help us just get out of the the self-prison that we've put ourselves in. Because there's a lot of Christians that are in prison themselves. And they don't even have any walls. They're free to walk around. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given me a spirit of fear, or given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Mm, Man. Okay, I gotta, I'm gonna wrap up on this. Turn over to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 10. Because this is, this is the point of everything. This is what I've been wanting to build up to this entire time in Leviticus. And that's this, that We have to have a foundation in our life in order to know him. Without a particular foundation in place, we can't get to know him and he can't get to know us. And in Leviticus, it tells us what that foundation is. Leviticus 10, look at verse 3. It says this, it says, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So by all those who come near, those, that sounds like people drawing near to God. I must be regarded as holy. 
You know why a lot of people don't get anything out of church? They don't value. Man, I, it doesn't matter what church I go to. When I go hungry, God speaks to my heart. And when I sit down and I read the word of God and I'm excited to be there and I'm excited to dig in, why do scriptures leap off the page? It's because of my hunger. It's because I am treating him as holy. That, that's why in here, man, our number one goal in here is to reverence him. You remember Saul, King Saul, he was thrown out from the kingship and God made an interesting statement when he removed him from office he said "He said, those who honor me I will honor those who don't honor me I will lightly esteem that's very kind of him to even lightly esteem you <laughs> but those who honor him he will honor when we reverence him oh he shows up Listen to this. I'm going to read you another scripture and then I want to make a statement and then I want us to pray. Psalm 89, 7. It says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. Wow. See, you only find God in an atmosphere where he's held in the highest respect. That's the only place that God comes is where he feels like he's being respected being honored being lifted up and that's our desire in here is to honor him to lift up him to exalt him